My name is Dr. Reese Granger. Welcome to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to Head First, the Concussion Podcast. With the podcast moving forward, I was always going to record and do episodes that were like a special episode, for lack of a better term. This was being where the content that I present and discuss as a standalone episode or something that has transpired in the current sporting landscape and does not build or tie into the current content that we'll cover in the part of a series. Unfortunately, I'm recording a standalone episode a lot earlier than what I would like to do as I was planning to do a concussion four-part series first about concussion solely and how it transpires and what it is and then this episode would have made more sense. This episode is going to be how I feel believe and perceive that the sporting organizations, players and club doctors actually getting around the concussion protocols and these arbitrary stand down policies that have been implemented. Now, before we go right into that, I'm going to give you a quick overview and a simplified view of concussion. So it's clearer what I'm talking about during the episode. However, please note the next three or four episodes will cover it in a lot more depth. So first, the million dollar question, what is a concussion? It's been put forth as discussed, it's an energy deficit disorder result from a neurometabolic cascade. Now, what does this mean? The brain is built up of these cells called neurons that send and receive electrical impulses throughout to create voluntary movement like walking, moving your arms and your limbs in space. There are billions of these neurons and they all work in unison and talk to one another. In order for these impulses to be sent, first we must initiate what we call an action potential. Neurons have individual cells inside them, and this is where the action potential is created or the electrical impulse is sent or signal. A cell has ions in the form of potassium, calcium, and sodium in different concentrations in and around the cell, whilst being negatively charged on the inside. So how do we explain this? Think of two rooms separated by two doors. One room has heaps of potassium with a little bit of calcium and sodium in it. The other room has a heap of calcium and sodium with a little bit of potassium. As channels in this case, which will be a door, opens, they all flood in and mix with each other because they want to reach an equilibrium state or equal out and be 50-50. This causes an action potential. Now the door closes and it's locked. The other door now is a sodium-potassium pump okay and acts as another channel which is a separate channel and separates the ions back into the original state before the action potential started so the potassium in one room the sodium in the other so we can create the next action potential okay so it pretty much unmixes them and puts them back to where they were originally supposed to be these ions have been pushed against a concentration gradient so basically They don't want to go back into the room with ease from where they came from. So this process has a cost in order to achieve it in the form of energy. This currency and the energy is ATP, adenosine triphosphate. Now balance is restored and we can start the whole process again. It's important to note that these millions of neurons all fire at the same time and they create to create movement and works on an all or nothing principle. So everything fires or nothing fires. We can't get halfway through a reaction and decide we don't want to do it. Also, when the ions move across the cell membrane or through the doors, they're shaped like a lock and key. When we get hit or concussed, whether by mechanical force to the body or a direct blow to the skull, as you don't have to be hit in the head to cause a concussion, which is a myth, 
These neurons go through what we believe to be a stretch and shear mechanism. Uh, how, do I, how do I describe this? Imagine that you've got a plate of jelly, okay, in your hands. And the jelly on the plate is your brain. Now you shake that jelly back and forth on the plate violently. And you can watch the jelly stretch back and forth, but it stays on the plate and doesn't move. As the jelly stretches back and forth, it's stretching and shearing due to the forces being generated that it can handle. That's our brain. Now the neurons on a cellular level are stretching and shearing. Sometimes they completely snap. When this form of mechanical stretching and shearing happens, the cell membrane or the walls deform. So the walls between the room, okay? And all these action potentials now happen at once without any control as there's no longer need for the doors to get to and from the rooms is because you've got holes in the walls. Everything equals out and creates a neurometabolic cascade. You can potentially lose consciousness and then get a fencing response when your arms and your hands curl upwards as we see when people are concussed. That's because everything has been told to contract at the exact same time due to all these action potentials going off. We contract the way we do generally as flexor muscle groups are stronger than extensor muscle groups. So you have the exact same weight, same amount of weight in the gym, okay, that you do a bicep curl, which is a flexor muscle, and a tricep extension, which is an extensor muscle. And theoretically speaking, you'll be able to curl a lot more weight than you'll be able to if you did like a tricep extension. Same as, same as said when you see them kind of lift their head up off the ground, okay, it's easier to tuck your chin in than it is to extend your head backwards. Okay, so earlier we talked about ATP. This is made in the mitochondria of a cell. We'll discuss this in the next episode again, so in a lot more depth and it's a lot clearer. However, when we have that stretch and shear response and the calcium comes flooding in, calcium also now enters the mitochondria. It's basically now rendered ineffective and it can't do its job to make ATP. It's just clogged it up. Now that mitochondria cannot make enough ATP to push all these ions against their concentration gradient to return to normal. Now the demand of what we need for ATP is outweighed the supply and the production. And we now have an energy crisis and a neurometabolic cascade chain of events has started. Somewhat still controversial, but it has been found in some studies that blood flow reduction in the brain is up to 50% immediately post-concussion, and this has been done in rats. Other chemicals are released and processes play out, which we'll cover in later episodes and get back to. Okay, so now spreading depression occurs over the following days, or the body trying to pay back the energy debt that it's accumulated. So things get a little worse before they get better. You now get these signs and symptoms of headache, fatigue, vacant facial expressions, loss of consciousness, surge speech. You can be overly emotional, memory deficits, confusion. On the day, you can be stumbling. All things we associate and see with concussion. After three to seven days, most, if not all, people will naturally feel fine or resume normal activities with a slight headache, sometimes a little bit of vision problems, light sensitivity, but you'll say that you're fine and you go back out to the field the following week and it's now easier, A, to receive a second concussion, B, takes longer to recover. Also, C, you expose yourself to more permanent long-term deficits and injuries if you actually get hit. So imagine if you have a health bar like on a video game, okay? It's at 100%. You get concussed. Now it's at 80%. 
okay? The first couple of days you feel okay, but it's still at 80%. It takes three to four weeks for you to recover from a concussion. You're not 100% again, but you feel fine, you take the field. You now cop another hit. It drops to about 65, 70%, okay? And now you've got double the amount of period of time from that three to four weeks to recover. Okay, so the initial three to four week period has now turned into eight week period. Okay, then you take the field again and you're at that original percentage. You get hit, now you're down to 50%. Now the human body, like you're struggling to function with the health bar, okay? It's changed color, it's starting to flash. And now the eight week period has turned into 16, nearly 20 weeks. Now you're bedridden, you've got so many headaches, blurred vision, light sensitivity. And that's what happens when you've been concussed, you feel okay, even though neurometabolically you're not okay, you go out, you get another hit. It doubles the amount of the recovery period. I hope this makes sense. Okay, I'm trying my best to get analogies to clear it up without actually doing this break apart deep dive episodes first. Now, this is where concussion gets murky is because you can't see a concussion. You're not physically incapacitated or limited like tearing a hamstring, dislocating a shoulder or breaking bones. So we feel okay and subjectively you look okay. Athletes can portray they look okay to the symptoms, to the club doctors, what they observe, and that goes vice versa. So last episode I said, Regardless if you feel there is a concussion or no concussion, always protect the spine, rule out anything to do with cervical injury first. This is 100% correct. It's the only way to be and it's a safe way to be. However, I feel like this is where a potential loophole now is being created by athletes, clubs and club doctors and the basis of this episode. The last four to five weeks, we've seen four to five athletes come off under suspected concussion uh if we go back to the nba finals anthony davis got hit in the head come off on a wheelchair brandon smith went off uh putting a neck brace and went to hospital after the game aaron reynolds adam reynolds sorry um knocked out playing melbourne storm put a neck brace and then lately tom travojevic come off with a category one concussion uh side note Category 1 to 3, when they grade it, they're going through the HIAs or the head injuries assessments based on the responses that they're seeing on the field. Now, all these athletes have either played again the next day, that next day, sorry, the next week, or missed one week and then come back. And all the statements have said that they haven't been concussed. It was a neck injury protocol that we were ruling out. Everything seems to be okay, and we're back out playing. And this is where I feel the loophole is happening, especially with the latter, is that he got reported by an independent doctor, which is a person in the NRL which actually looks at the vision that has nothing to do with any of the clubs and says, this person's showing these signs and symptoms, get them off the field. We've had three doctors overrule the independent doctor from the club saying that he's okay, there's no concussion, we don't perceive there to be a concussion, we don't see a concussion, the cervical spine's all good, he's okay to play, he's been named to play. Now, these medical experts, I am not questioning them at all. Based on the research, the signs and symptoms, and how we know a concussion works, that it's a diagnosis of exclusion with no preservable signs of pathology, err on the side of caution. Okay, I just 
it blows my mind. I don't get it. We've got so many lawsuits against these governing bodies through concussions and plays. Playing sport and going semi-professional and trying to go professional, I do feel this puts me in a better spot to also talk about concussion. And what I mean by that is I know what the athletes will do and I know what they're like and we have to protect them from themselves at times. There's a famous study, which I wish I could remember it, and they asked Olympians it was along the lines of, if we gave you a gold medal, but you'll be dead by the time you're 45, would you take it? And it was up around the 85, 90% range. They all took the gold medal, even though they'll be dead by 45. Don't quote me on the numbers. It sticks out to me that I remember reading that study and to be quite honest, when I was playing Soccer, if you had said, look, you'll be in the Premier League, would have won a Premier League title, I would have taken the same deal. No hesitations asked. It's just how athletes are wired. It's their identity. It's their life. And they'll put their own health and safety first. However, on the flip side, I do empathize with the doctors, okay? I'm not going to name names here. When I was trying to get into med school and medicine and study medicine, I actually met up with a doctor from a club who was retired. And he said that you... If you have really good ethics, he said being a sporting doctor is going to be really hard. And he gave me an example that he went through. He had the star player of the team come off complaining about his hamstring. It was tight and it was sore. He went through all these assessments, said to the coach, precautionary, take him off. We'll go through all the assessments in detail and scans during the week. He may miss one week, possibly two. We'll get him back out there and everything will be good to go. Coach didn't want to hear it, said he's our star player, we need to win the game, get him back out there, I don't care what or how you do it. So they got him back out there, tore his hamstring off the bone, and then the club doctor got told off because he didn't prevent it and he knew it was going to happen and what's he doing. It's important to understand that even though it's a sport and we've got players' health involved, it's a multi-million dollar business, livelihoods depend on it, Players need to be protected from themselves, so it's this multifaceted dimension. Then the next question you might be asking that you said earlier in the episode that it takes three to four weeks for a concussion to potentially heal and go through the neurometabolic events to level out and all the supply and demand ATP to come back. Look, it's all great to say, hey, we suspect you got a concussion, sit out for three to four weeks, but being an athlete and a player, this won't exactly work either. It's because you want the athletes to be honest with you. You want them to report a concussion or they're not feeling quite right. You do this, an athlete's going to know they're going to miss the next three to four weeks. They are not going to tell you. The amount of athletes that play through injury is unreal. They are not going to tell you that they concuss, they feel concussed, or they've got headaches or blurred vision because they don't want to miss out on four weeks of sport, especially if you put near finals time. They're not going to want to miss out on finals because of the suspected concussion. So we need to encourage them to come forth, but then we also want to protect them from themselves. So again, it's a real fine balancing act. It's like, well, what do you do? We don't know. It's really hard. And then add the pressure of fans and children and everyone alike want to see the best players play in the game because that's the entertainment. Now, back to the original bit of the episode. We protect the cervical spine and I believe that this is where the loopholes are being found and exploited is they're doing their due diligence, they're being thorough, they're clearing all cervical injury or potential hematomas, everything that we've previously discussed, 
they're doing their job and they're saying, hey, we can't find nothing wrong. The athlete's great to go back out to the field. But you can't see a concussion. We haven't got the technology or anything like that to be able to say this is what's going on. They've 100% got a concussion. It's a diagnosis of exclusion and we know it's happened based on their presentation and the signs and symptoms that they have showed. Only way that we can make headways into concussion and sport is to take everything seriously, err on the side of caution. There's a common saying when it comes to concussion, if in doubt, sit them out. We are talking about people's long-term health, long-term futures here. We've seen it with the AFL players, NRL players, NFL players, ice hockey, soccer, everything about how their memory loss, mood swings, violent and sadly suicide. We have to take this seriously in order to implement change because it goes right down to the grassroots level as they just want to be like their heroes and superstar athletes that they watch and they see on TV. Before I sign off to put this into context, in order to be concussed, it takes about 70 to 100 G-forces. Okay, if I give you a comparison, four G-forces is a roller coaster. 1.5 G-forces, a takeoff in a plane. If you sit down into a seat, it's four G-forces. Soccer head is 24 G-forces. Uh, and when you get punched boxing, it's 50 G-forces. Now, look, there is some rotational components in there, which I'll discuss in later episodes. So in order to be concussed, it's 70 to 100 G-forces is going through your cervical spine, your skull, and your brain, causing that shearing response. By no means am I discrediting any of the doctors informed with these players. They're incredibly smart people. All I'm saying is that any potential concussion needs to be taken seriously. It seems we've gone through this phase where it's been taken seriously. We've brought CTE to the forefront of the media and the players... Everyone is talking about it, and now again we're starting to downplay concussion, especially when they just say a player's got a head knock. Call it for what it is. Bring more awareness to it. The more people that are aware of it, the more we take it seriously, the better off we're all going to be in the long term and in the future, and we're actually going to make our sports safer. I've hope we've learned some things today in this episode, and we've gone through the complexities of concussion and the challenges that athletes, coaches, club doctors, and everyone alike faces. Again, I am not discrediting any of these people. I just want to bring it to light. This concussion is a serious injury and has long-term consequences that we are yet to 100% understand. Again, I hope this episode sheds some light on all things concussion and the complexities around it and what athletes, players, and everyone alike go through when making these decisions thank you for listening and that concludes today's episode even though i'm a registered chiropractor all the information provided today is based off my interpretation of the research and is of my opinion and my opinion only this is not a substitute for professional medical advice of your doctors or physician if you believe you're suffering from something similar or the injuries discussed in today's episode please contact your medical practitioner i am your host dr reese granger Thank you for listening.